So my doctor walked back in and she like had tears in her eyes and was like, Alex, it's a boy and he is not going to make it. Welcome back to A Fresh Story. This episode is part of a special series for October, as it is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. We are honored to hold space for these profound conversations and share these stories. These stories may be of grief, but they are also of hope, resilience, and most of all, unconditional love. As a reminder, be gentle with your heart. And if you are not able to listen to this episode at the moment, We understand, and we're holding you close. These conversations will change you as they have changed us. I'll let these amazing women tell you in their own words. Alex Mooney is an award-winning photographer in St. Louis, Missouri. Ten years ago, I was sitting on the floor of my little boy's room I think he was about one. And I desperately, desperately wanted somebody to talk to. I flipped open Instagram and literally searched the hashtag boy moms or something like that. And Alex Mooney's face popped up. She was a stranger. She was just somebody on Instagram. And I had no idea, no idea how much she would change my life. Over the last decade, Alex and I have been through a lot together. She helped me through my divorce, and I learned so much from her, watching her walk through hell when she lost her child. When we decided to put the series together for October, being Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, I immediately turned to Alex for her consult and her direction. Not only is Alex an award-winning photographer, but she's an award-winning birth photographer. And she photographs death too. I wanted her to talk about everything. How she left the hospital without her child and then continued to support families in honoring their children in so many ways. I'll let Alex explain a little bit more. Five years ago, 2018, I was pregnant with our fourth everything was going kind of like it did with the last three. I was working at a school, um, but I had just gone kind of part-time. So I was doing a lot of like online teaching with them. And then that kind of opened my schedule up to be a mom, but also to do photography, which was like what I really wanted to do. And at the start of that school year, I think I knew like I'm done teaching after this, but I was like, I'll write it out. And, you know, I don't want to leave them in the lurch. Um, So as kind of the fall went on, I don't know, around like week 16, I just sensed something wasn't right. I wasn't supposed to have my anatomy scan until like 21 weeks, but I called my OB and was like, can we move it earlier? Like, I, I don't know. I just, you know, she's like, oh, we can come in, you know, you can come in, we can listen to heart tones and stuff. And I said, no, you know, I, I have a Doppler at home. I just, we just move the like the big scan. She's like, yeah, so we moved it two weeks earlier to 19 weeks. Uh, 19 weeks was the beginning of October, and I went in um, by myself because my husband works nights, and I was like, just sleep. We've done this, you know, three times before. You know, just just go to bed. 
So I went by myself and I remember walking with the ultrasound tech down to the room and telling her, you know, I think I may have a, you know, anterior placenta. I haven't felt this baby move, but like I'm gigantic. So I feel like I should be feeling something, you know, I lay down and she like put the probe on my belly and instantly she like went silent and she looked for, I don't know, maybe a minute and turned the screen off and said, I'm going to go get your doctor. And I said, I said, well, what's wrong? She's like, just baby's got a lot of swelling. I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, I don't think I really knew at that point because like, okay, well, this is bad, you know, whatever. So my doctor walked back in and she like had tears in her eyes and was like, Alex, it's a boy, which, you know, I was like shocked because we usually don't ever find out. But like at this point I didn't care. And she's like, it's a boy and he is not going to make it. And I, and I was like, wait, what? You can tell all that from the, and she, and so they laid me back and they scanned again. And it was like, everything they scanned would just find something worse and worse. I, I don't even think I considered this as a possibility because I don't know, I, f- I feel like I had three easy pregnancies prior and, you know, was totally naive to the fact that anything bad could happen. And, you know, I knew that that happened to people, but you know, I, I, I don't know you, you back then. And even now, like you don't hear about people talking about loss a lot. And so I guess you live in this bubble where you think, well, it didn't really happen that much. So we should be fine. You know, where you think like, Oh, you heard the heartbeat, the first ultrasound. So there's only a 5% chance of loss after that, you know, so you, you don't realize there are a ton of things that can go wrong. Um, so you know, I'm like freaking out and, you know, my doctor's like, well, where's Mike? And I said, well, he's at home sleeping. I said, can you call him? So she called him and woke him up and he, I think was stunned. She didn't tell him much, but it was like, you need to get here. Um, so we went back to her office and I just kind of sat there like not knowing what to think. And she's like, we're going to try to get you in upstairs, which the like, there was like a MFM team, um, in the, you know, her office is in the hospital. So it, in the, one of the upstairs offices was like MFM, one of the MFM teams they work with. And she's like, we're going to see if we can get you in right now. And, you know, they'll, they can do another scan and give a little bit more. It's like, okay, okay. And so Mike got there and we both just like, they let us out a back door. Like we didn't have to go through the waiting room, which I was like, I didn't even know there was a back door. Yeah. And we went upstairs and they got us in right away. And this new sonographer, was doing like a real in-depth one. And I I remember I kept asking her questions and I hate this about ultrasound techs. I mean, I get it's their job, but they can't ever tell you anything, right? Like, well, you have to talk to the doctor. And, you know, part of me wants to be like, can the doctor just like sit in here and answer my questions while I'm asking, you know? You know, because anyways, that was hard because, yeah, you know, and I was like, I want answers, but I'm not gonna have to wait, you know, for the doctor to review this. Anyways, so- she did that and then she left and we just sat in there kind of like stunned silence. I, m- I remember we had dinner plans that night. We were supposed to go to some friend's houses and I text and was like, hey, we're not going to be able to make it. She's like, oh, everything okay? And I was like, no. And then she just like blew up my phone and I was like, I'll talk to you later. So I'm sure that freaked her out. But so yeah, the doctor came in and, you know, told us all the, the findings and yeah, I mean, she was basically like, I don't know how this baby still has a heartbeat because you know, she just listed off all of these issues that he had and there was a ton of swelling and, you know, and she said, 
he has a lot of markers for trisomy 18, but it may not be that he may have, you know, you may have gotten some kind of infection that went to him. You know, a lot of this is common with parvovirus. Um, and so, you know, of course I'm like, oh my God, did I do something? So they're like, you know, we really want to do an amniocentesis because that can rule out a lot of like genetic things. My crappy insurance at the time, which was through the school that I worked with, which was a Catholic school, which they let the religion dictate a lot of medical care, which I have other thoughts on that, but they did not approve same day amniocentesis. They made you wait. So you, for whatever reason, you could not have an amnio the day it was needed, right? So it wasn't my insurance company. We had like this middleman um, that managed our insurance. So the middleman, so even though my actual insurance, which was Aetna at the time, which is a big one, they, you know, cover everything. Well, the middleman, which was this like Catholic host, they were the ones that dictated whether they were going to submit this to insurance or not based on religious beliefs and stuff, which is as I'm talking out loud, it's just absolutely insane. Um, and, and again, I was naive at this point because like I never needed anything other than standard medical care that is okay to have, you know, across all religions and stuff. So anyway, so we had to wait for that to be submitted, you know, so the next day I think we heard that, um, it was not going to be covered if we wanted an amnio because, um, you know, we, per my insurance, we could not terminate because that violates. Yeah. So finding out if it's a genetic disorder or not makes no difference because you will carry this baby, which again, like not anything I would have ever even thought of before, but then, you know, it was such a gut punch. Cause I'm like, well, that's not your choice to make. That's, that's mine. You know, that was, you know, a factor too, was that, well, she's fine, you know, and the baby's alive. So, so we went ahead and still did the amnio. We paid out of pocket for it. I think it was like, gosh, I don't know, a thousand bucks, maybe, maybe more. I don't remember. Um, I was so angry at the time, you know, we wanted to see like the genetic counselor and such, which I think that was covered. Cause that was just like chatting you know, I was almost 20 weeks at this time. You know, I remember my doctor saying, well, you know, you have up to 24 weeks in Missouri to terminate if you want to electively do that. And of course this was five years ago. Now you, now Missouri, you, you can't you, like, it's insane to me that if someone today was in my position, they, they weren't even given that option. Right. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, my head was spinning and we, of course, you know, our personal choice, other people may have different ones and that's fine. That's their choice. And that's what I like about the time we were in was that we had a choice. Right. But, um, yeah, but we were like, no, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to, you know, to go on with this and maybe there's something that, you know, can do or whatever. And, you know, a big part of the, the factor for me was regardless of if I terminated it or not, I was having a C-section to deliver this baby. I had had three prior C-sections. This baby was measuring 10 plus weeks ahead. There was no way this baby was coming out any other way than by cesarean. So 
even if I did term did choose to terminate, I would have had to have a C-section for that. You know, that played a factor too. I was like, well, I'm going to have to deliver this baby the same way regardless. So we were, and, and we really thought like we wanted to, to exhaust all po possible options and see, you know, maybe something would change. So the MFM group that I was sent to for my OB's office, we didn't actually stay with because they don't deliver at the hospital that I was at. They deliver at a big one um, in downtown St. Louis. And that one is the one that does terminations. I did not since, you know, we weren't terminating and my insurance would have dropped me had we chose to do that. So we would have had to pay out of pocket, which again is another factor that went into this, which is again, insane about, but we said, no, we, we can't deliver down at that hospital because I don't want anything to be accidentally coded wrong that it was a termination because my insurance will drop me. And so we switched to a new MFM at the hospital I was at and he was like the in-house MFM and he delivered at that hospital, which was good because then my doctor said, you know, she would be there too. So then, you know, we switched to him and he had a different kind of look on, um, you know, the ultrasounds and stuff and thought, thought we would have a lot longer than we actually did. He's like, you will not take this baby home. This baby likely will not be born alive. It's just, we don't know when and if he is born alive, you will have probably minutes with him. So, you know, it was just so much going on and we got all the um, genetic testing back and it was all, I mean, he had, we did the very, very extensive stuff, which again, we had to pay out of pocket for, um, but he was perfect. Like genetically on paper, he was perfect. There was nothing wrong with him. He was just like, you know, you and me, like everything was, you know, all the chromosomes were there, right? Um, and there was nothing wrong with any of them. You know, that was like a gut punch because it's like, oh my gosh, you know, had we did that early, you know, genetic testing that they offer, which we always declined, like at, you know, 10 weeks or whatever, we would have gotten the results back that we were having a healthy baby. And, you know, it's just, that doesn't mean, you know, I know now that it's like, well, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. So then they ran like a, you know, infection panel and stuff on me to see if like maybe it was this parvovirus or something that I had contracted that went to the baby. And no, I came back immune to that. So I had already had it previously. So that wasn't it. You know, it was, we, we did not know. And it was killing me because I'm like, okay, you know, did I do something? Did I take something? Did I, was I exposed to something that harmed this baby, you know, and I, I remember I was really sick early on in my pregnancy with like a lot of allergy and s different stuff. So I was taking a bunch of medicine um, that was, you know, supposedly safe for pregnancy, but I'm like, but was it? So I knew I was like, okay, we, we definitely, whenever, you know, we have him and, you know, if he passes, we'll have to do an autopsy because we want to, we want to find out if it's possible. I mean, it's not going to bring him back, but maybe give a little bit of closure. After, you know, we had found out all about this in early October, you know, it was just devastating because we had three kids at home who were expecting a sibling. And at this point in the interview, I paused Alex for a second and reminded her that Clark's pregnancy announcement she had posted online had gone incredibly viral. Like it was all over the internet for a long time and still is. When I reminded her of this, a smile came across her face 
Yeah, it did. It did. Um, <laughs> I'd still, I'll see it pop up on, you know, Buzzfeed and like Pinterest and stuff. Um, every once in a while, and it always just makes me smile because it was a very creative one. Um, our kids were all three kids were holding signs that says we're having, or we're getting a brother, a new baby brother, or sister. And then the other kid had a sign that says, and we have no idea because we can't read. <laughs> um, so it was just, it was, yeah. But so yeah, it was just really hard. Those next, you know, almost a month, like three and a half weeks or so just walking around. Cause I looked about 32 weeks, 33 weeks pregnant. I mean, I looked big and I didn't want to go anywhere. And, you know, I was supposed to still be teaching and I don't want to do that. I don't want to see anybody. I didn't want, you know, I'm already mad at the school because of the insurance situation. And it was just, it was really hard. And then one weekend, I remember right before I went to bed, I was like crazy itchy on my hands and feet. And one of my friends had just had a baby and had the cholestasis. I was like, oh my gosh, am I developing this? And then I'm like, well, that's usually a third trimester thing. I'm only in the second, you know, so, but I'm like, but I'm measuring so big, you know, is my uterus thinking like I'm further along. And I text my OB the next morning, which was a Sunday, like super early, like 630. I was like, I'm sorry to wake you up, but like, I'm dying. Like I'm so itchy. I can't, you know, she's like, Oh, no big deal. She's like, go into labor and delivery. I'll call over there. And we'll have them draw labs for that. And we'll see, you know, you know, what's going on. So Mike and I went to labor and delivery and, you know, they sat down and tried to find the heartbeat with like the, just the, you know, the thing they put on your belly, like when you're in labor and she's like, Oh, I can, you know, I can't find it. She's like, let me go grab the ultrasound. And I remember her coming in with a doctor. And as soon as they put the probe on, I was like, it's like, I knew, and there was no heartbeat. And I remember this doctor who was just like a, you know, resident, um, hospitalist. And I remember she was just like, I don't, I, she must not have ever had to like deliver that news to anybody. Cause she was just so, oh my gosh, I'm so, and you know, Mike and I were both like, you know, thank you. You know, we, we anticipated this coming, which maybe made it easier for them. I don't know, but it was just it was hard. I was like, wow, this came a lot faster than we thought. Cause we thought, you know, according to our other MFM that like we would probably have another month or two and we didn't. And it was just, yeah, it was, it was so tough. And so now I'm like, great. Now we have to tell the kids and it's right before Halloween, you know, which is their like favorite holiday. And it was just, it was so tough. And I remember my, MFM doctor, you know, cause he was there already like doing a delivery with somebody else. And he's like, well, I can get her in. And they're like, have you eaten anything? I'm like, well, yeah, I just had a big bowl of cereal, you know, like an hour ago. And they're like, oh, well, you know, you need to wait eight hours, you know, so you don't barf up. And so I was like, oh, and then my MFM doctor's like, well, I can't do it today after, you know, whatever. So he's like, I can get her in tomorrow at like 6 p.m. And I remember thinking, I don't want to wait. Like, let's do this now. While I probably could have gotten somebody to do it then, um, I knew that that he that MFM guy needed to do it. I had a lot of 
complications in there along with Clark with, you know, the placenta and just other things that someone skilled needed to do it. And my OB wouldn't even touch me. She's like, nope, I do not feel comfortable, you know, doing this. So she said, I'll be, you know, I'll be happy to assist, but I, I cannot, you know, do it on my own. So, but she said, I will be there. We left. They're like, well, you know, we can go ahead and admit you and you can, you know, just, I'm like, I'm not staying. Like, I'm going home and going to sleep in my bed tonight. So we went home and, you know, we told our parents and, the, you know, the kids, and it was just so tough because, you know, we're, we're there and they're like, well, if the baby died, why is, why is, why is your belly so big? And I remember texting my buddy, who's a photographer, we're, you know, like backup partner photographers. And she was like, we're doing maternity pictures tonight. And I was like, no, we're not. I said, like, I don't want to. I, you like, nope, nope, nope. And she's like, no, I'm not taking no for an answer. We're doing them. I will meet you at this park at 5 p.m. or whatever it was. And I was reluctantly, I was like, whatever. And now in hindsight, I'm like so glad we did him because those are some of my, you know, favorite pictures we have um, with him. And I was so glad she was pushy on that. And, you know, then she took all of my photo sessions for like the next month because, you know, I was going to have a C-section. I couldn't, you know, get back up and work. So she was so wonderful in doing that. Um, and she was like, and I'll be there for Clark's birth too. And I remember thinking, no, just maybe come afterwards. And she, again, was insistent and was like, nope, I will be there. When you get checked in, I will be there. Which, again, I'm so appreciative of that because she is not someone that handles loss well. Meaning she doesn't photograph, you know, bereavement sessions or anything like that. She just, she, she has a hard time handling that situation, which I appreciate. But she put all that aside for me. And I, I, I know she wouldn't do that for many people. Yeah. So then, you know, the next day we went in and it happened to be my grandma's birthday who had died the year prior. She had her absolute favorite movie book was Gone with the Wind. She loved Rhett Butler's character, which was played by Clark Gable. Um, and that's, I had loved the name Clark for that. So we had named Clark previously kind of after her a little bit, just because, you know, that's, yeah, you know, we try to give all of our kids some kind of family name or family kind of relationship name. And then the fact that he was going to be born on her birthday, I was like, oh, wow. Like of all the dates, like this is, that's crazy. And, you know, it was comforting to know that she loved babies so much that, he got to go snuggle with her right away and on her birthday. And anyway, so it, that, you know, was, was comforting to have. Yeah. I mean, we went in and I still remember it was like C-section was surreal. Cause I'd done the C-section before three times and it was like happy and joyous. And you could hear a pin drop in that OR. And I just, it was, yeah. And I didn't even know. What, yeah. And I didn't know what to expect. And they're, you know, had units of blood in there and I had multiple IVs in and they were talking about having to make a vertical incision because of just where everything was. And fortunately everything went better than anybody was anticipating, but yeah, it was just, it was, it was really, really tough. Um, and then we got out of the OR, we had the kids come up, um, and meet him, which is something I've seen, 
go back and forth with families that I photograph that some are like, yes, I have to bring my kids, big kids, big siblings, siblings, whatever. You have to meet this baby. And then some are like, absolutely not. I don't, you know, I don't want them to see this baby like this or anything. And, you know, it's just, I don't know. I, I tell people all the time, I said, you never regret having the pictures taken. You only regret not doing it. And, you know, I've, I've heard from many people over the years, you know, well, thank you for the photos. Like, I wish I would have had my son come or I wish I would have had my daughter come or, but when you're in that moment, it's like, it's so difficult. And then again, you don't want to be super pushy to the, you know, to people to be like, Hey, no, you should do it. But, um, but at least if they don't bring their, you know, kids up, they have the, they have photos, you know, which is more than some people don't, don't even take those. So, you know, I wanted the kids to come up, Mike did too, wanted the kids to come up and the grandparents came up and, um, yeah, it was, it was good. And, and our kids still to this day, you know, five years later, um, the three big ones still talk about it. And, you know, uh, you know, Patrick always, our oldest always includes Clark and everything. He had to do something for school. And he said, I have two brothers and two sisters. It's like, you do. So, um, so yeah, it was just, it, it was a lot. And just all of a sudden now I wasn't pregnant and I had a baby that I'm leaving the hospital without. And now I have to navigate this whole path of something I never thought would happen, but now I'm now did. And I'm part of this club where you leave the hospital empty handed and it's just, yeah, it was, it was, it was really, it, it was a really tough time. And yeah, it just, that was losing him was the catalyst for a lot of things to come, which, you know, I'm so appreciative of him for that because he pushed me to do things and to make big leaps and fresh starts and stuff like that, that I don't think I would have done had he not come along. One of the major life changes that came from Clark's passing was the decision to change her career. A lack of support from her workplace after Clark's death was the impetus for this major change. Alex explained more about the lack of support and her decision to leave teaching and pursue her dream of becoming a professional photographer. You know, and I, I wrote a lot about this, but the thing that still sticks out is the silence from people. And there's so many people out there that don't want to talk about things that are uncomfortable, which I get it. You know, it's, it's hard, but those things are part of life and difficult things happen. And to just shut down and not say anything is infinitely worse than, you know, try saying something and, you know, for fear that you're going to say the wrong thing. Um, so that was like really hard was, you know, these people, some of them that, you know, were close or thought were close and it's just like, I didn't hear anything from them. And it's just, you know, that, that was really hard. Um, but then on the flip side, we had so many people who were so great um, in supporting us. And, you know, I love hearing his name. I love hearing, you know, people talk about him and reference him and make sure, you know, that he's still very much a part of what we're going through. Um, but people supported us in all sorts of ways, obviously, like brought us food and different things like that. But, you know, 
I had an internet friend send crafts for my big kids um, and included something for them to make, you know, for Clark and just, you know, just different things like that, that just people reaching out, even just a simple text message to say, hey, just don't even need to respond, just checking in, sending you a hug, you know, that kind of stuff. So, you know, that that was really great. I was teaching at the time. I was like part-time teaching, um, so mostly online classes, but I would have to go in every once in a while. And, you know, after we lost Clark, it was like radio silence from my, my job, which was wild because it was very open about it, right? And I was friends with a lot of people I worked with um, on Facebook, but like I didn't even get an email or anything that was like, you know, and I remember reaching out to our HR person and being like, Hey, I just had a C-section. Like I need some time off. Like, and she didn't respond. And I remember being like two days post-op, you know, still the hospital grading papers because this person hadn't gotten back to me and no one had like sent a formal announcement out about this at school. And I felt weird that like, why should I have to do this? Like, I don't know. I feel like principal should do it. And it went on for weeks. No one reached out. No one. And in the meantime, I'm seeing these emails go through about like, pray for so-and-so's mother who's fighting cancer or congratulations, so-and-so on your new baby, or we're having a prayer service for this. And I'm like, what the, like, like nothing. You Like, flowers maybe i thought employers would send flowers nothing nothing and my friend who retired the year before um i was talking to her a lot about this and it was and she was just like appalled so finally after like three weeks she called the assistant principal and was like you guys effed up and so then like the phone calls started coming from these people but i was so mad at the situation and just how they like just didn't care it seemed that i didn't answer them and, you know, it was just uh, one of the teachers there decided to use one of the pieces I wrote in his creative writing class to, like, talk about how, you know, there's a line where you shouldn't cross. And I crossed it with putting too much of your, too much of your life out there and stuff like that, which I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, it was just it was nuts. And then couple that with the insurance with, cause it was, I was working at Catholic school, a couple of that with the insurance being a nightmare in handling all of this and, you know, charging us and not covering stuff. It was just, it was too much to handle. And, you know, I felt like I was grieving, but also that grief was being overshadowed by just this absolute anger and rage from this job. And, you know, I think I did type out everything that happened, um, you know, just to, have yeah but i eventually i quit mid-year like mid-semester was like you know basically screw you guys you this is how you treat somebody like i don't think so find some you know you can find somebody else to do my job at the very least workplaces need to have a a a policy not only for maternity and paternity leave but like maternity leave paternity leave after loss so many of them are like well, you can have two days you know, and it's like, what? Like, I just had surgery, you know, and it's, it's just bananas that they don't have, that a lot of these companies are just like in the dark. And again, I think it goes back to the fact that it's like, we don't talk about it. It doesn't happen, you know, and staying silent on it. So companies totally need to have that kind of built in, you know, to their, whatever their leave schedule is. Companies need to have like a dedicated person, you know, who takes charge of when bad stuff happens, whether, 
it's a parent dying or your child or whatever that, okay, we're going to send flowers. We're going to send a card. We're going to have everybody like, we're going to send a gift card or DoorDash. But, you know, again, I just feel like loss, like with child loss um, and stillbirth and stuff, it's such a taboo topic that a lot of people are like, oh, that sucks, but I don't want to talk about it. Like, I don't want to bring it up. Like, I don't want to give them anything to remind them of it. And it's like, no, we want the opposite. I asked Alex to explain how she supported herself and her mental health after Clark's passing, how she lives with the grief every day, and as a family, how they continue to honor Clark's life. Our loss was our fourth, so we had three other kids, and I think that definitely helps because you can kind of focus your energy on them um, rather than, you know, if you didn't have any kids. Um, my heart goes out to the people that lose their first baby because, you know, they don't have that automatic built-in distraction um, like we did. So, you know, I focused on them. I blogged a lot. I wrote a lot, um, which was like writing has always kind of been therapeutic for me. So writing kind of helped you know, get my thoughts and feelings out and, and just kind of shared my story. And I feel like that kind of helped, you know, keep going and connect with people and such like that. Um, you know, I went and, you know, I talked to a, uh, therapist, counselor, psychologist, I don't know what, what somebody, um, yeah, like a grief counselor type person. Um, because I wanted a third party to talk to. I didn't want to talk to a friend. I didn't want to talk to a family member that had like been through this with me and that I'm very, you know, open with anyways. I, I wanted somebody kind of outside of knowing what happened. Um, and that helped um, a lot just to have somebody who wasn't there um, to talk through it with. Um, you know, that, that helped. Um, again, just kind of finding a, uh, a niche for my grief per se. And obviously blogging helped and, and talking about it, you know, worked for me. And I know that's not everybody's thing because, you know, and that's fine. Um, but definitely finding like a, a group of people or even one person that you can connect with that maybe has gone through this with you that you can, you can talk to, because I think that's so important to get these emotions out. Even a Facebook group, you know, um, I'm in some, you know, lost Facebook groups and those posts that people put up, I mean, they're really opening themselves up, but they get so much good feedback. And I think that's so important, um, to not let, you know, all this kind of bottle up, but you know, it kind of helps you in your, in your journey. Yeah. And, and I feel like grief and joy can go hand in hand and, you know, you don't always have to be happy, but you also don't always have to be sad. I mean, you can, it's, you know, it's your choice and whatever you're feeling, but you know, it, it's, you can find the good in really bad situations. And that's what I've tried myself to do with Clark is, you know, what his, his legacy and, you know, his time, what has that taught me and, you know, what has that caused me to do? Um, so, I mean, I look at it like that, but you know, I, I have other friends that have lost kids and babies and infants, you know, several years ago. And, you know, they, it, it is almost like a, a wave or a teeter totter where some days you have really good days and you may only think about them a couple of times. And some days you're just so consumed, you don't want to get out of bed. Um, and that's okay. And you know, it may go like that. And, you know, for the rest of your life. And it may be big waves of that and then little waves. But, you know, I think it's important that people realize that 
you can grieve, but also be happy and you can be happy, but also grieve. Like it, it's not one or the other. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously a little different because he's not actually physically here, but you know, we spend a lot of time talking about him and, you know, always making sure the kids are so good with this, but that like, he's a part of everything we do. So whether it's family photos, we make sure to bring his bear, um, you know, bedtime stories, just different, different things. We always, you know, integrate him into, into it, which is, is so good. Um, and then, you know, I, like I said, I love hearing his name and I try to do things even though we're, you know, close to five years out from his birth, um, to kind of keep his legacy and stuff alive. So, you know, I do, um, not, not a giveaway, but like I, I do like special photography sessions and such, um, for his birthday. And then the proceeds go, you know, the, the money that I make, I don't, I, you know, I, I then do something with it in his honor. Um, you know, I've bought these like caring cradles, which are kind of like cuddle cots. They're basically like open refrigerator bassinets to kind of keep babies cool. Um, but that they can stay in the room with the families for, you know, people who've experienced loss or stillbirth. Um, so I've, you know, purchased two of those for the hospital I delivered, um, you know, in his honor and, you know, just different things like that, just to, to kind of keep, you know, him alive. And it does take up energy because, you know, obviously I have to sit and think about all this stuff. Um, but it's just a different way of, you know, spending time with him versus in person with my other kids. I wanted to know more about bereavement photography, especially when it came to infant loss and why she is so passionate about what she does and how she supports families. You know, back before, you know, I was even pregnant with Clark, I got this contract um, at one of our local hospitals here to be their birth photographer. And with that, I also said I would do bereavement photography, which I'd done a few sessions, you know, here and there for, you know, friends that, you know, couldn't find anybody, you know, through like now I lay me down to sleep or we have another organization here called on angels wings, um, that those are great, but they don't always have somebody available. So I would go cover. Um, so when I got this contract, you know, big thing was I would be the bereavement photographer so that they had someone to always count on because too many times, you know, they would call for photos and no one was available. And these families were like left with taking iPhone pictures, which is fine, but you know, some, some of these families wanted more. So, um, I, you know, I had that bereavement part and it was so crazy that that was even like brought up because that ended up, you know, after we lost Clark and stuff being such a huge part of what I do. Um, you know, I, I shoot births and babies and families, but then, you know, I do also shoot losses and some of those, I shoot the actual birth. Some of them it's, um, you know, I come afterwards, some it's like a mix but, you know, I, I capture about two to three of those a month, um, which is a lot. Um, and some months it's more, some months it's less, but it's a lot. And it's, you know, babies from 14 weeks through 41 weeks, you know, or babies that are a few days old that, you know, had something, um, you know, genetic or congenital or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's, you know, what, what a big part of what Clark taught me is the importance of pictures and how they can really give us a snapshot of that memory that, you know, we think we may always remember, but we don't. And, 
you know, all these majority of things that I shoot is you can't go back and do them over, right? You can't, you know, and, and the nice thing about pictures now, especially if they're digital, it's like, okay, you can take the photos, but if you're not ready to look at them, you don't have to, but you have them in case you are. And I've heard too many times where people didn't get photos and then years later, they're like, I wish I had a photo of my child. I have nothing, you know? So um, I've, you know, try to really advocate for families, you know, that are experiencing this, you know, horrible situation, whether it's expected kind of like Clark's was or totally unexpected to, to kind of embrace those emotions and just set that, I don't want these photos aside for a second and just get them because they will want them someday. Um, you know, and it's, it's, they're just so important to have and, you know, you can't go back and get them. And I think they are a good tool to help in the grieving process too. Again, where, whenever that falls, you know, I've had people that I've taken them and I just had somebody I did in 2021 in July of 2021. And this week they just logged into their gallery for the first time. And it's like, but, but it's there, it was ready for them. And, you know, had they not had that, like, you know, so I think they're, they're, you know, they're really, really important. When I asked Alex what she would say to another parent experiencing this loss, she simply said, You're not alone. It seems like you are. It's so isolating. It's so, you know, awful. You may not know anybody who's been through it, but there are people out there and resources that can help and they, they do help. And the biggest thing I tell families, you know, when they reach out to me is please don't feel like you're going through this alone. Like you're not, you know, we can, you know, I, I can help you in any way, obviously, but, um, know that, you know, you have people here supporting you. Cause I think that's the biggest thing that you need when going through this is, is support and that from all angles, whether it's Facebook groups or, you know, in person. So thank you, Alex, for sharing your story and helping so many people feel less alone. Thank you for sharing Clark with us. We will remember him always. A Fresh Story is produced by Fresh Starts Registry. A heartfelt thank you to all of the women who share their stories in this special series. And a special thank you to Alex Mooney, who has been our special consultant for these episodes. If you are experiencing pregnancy or infant loss, we hope that these episodes helped you feel a little bit less alone. We love you and we are holding you close.